All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. Now, SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbark, and I have an amazing guest on the line today. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to give you the intent of the podcast, kind of the why are we here, so to speak, and we are here to work out our hardships, our obstacles, our issues and all of that in such a way that we can begin to unfold God's plan and purpose for our lives. But you may be listening and saying, but Dustin, why do I need to listen to Scar? And the truth is, guys, we all have stuff. We all have hardships. We all have issues that can begin to stack on top of one another. And if we're not careful, it can even change the trajectory of our lives. Now, that being said, I want to welcome Mr. Brady Boyd to the show. Please say hello. <laughs> Good to oh, have you. Good to be with you, Dustin. Hey, man, I am so glad that, that you could join us now. For our listeners, uh, Pastor Brady Boyd is senior pastor of New Life Church in Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado. And so it is a 15,000 uh, member church alongside seven different locations. Uh, pastor Brady is the second pastor in a 35 year span. And so that is unbelievable. That is amazing. And so, uh, so glad to have you and your wisdom. Um, how's the weather there in Colorado? Well, it's very nice now. We have some snow coming this weekend, but this week is going to be really nice fall weather here in Colorado. The, we're just a beautiful area of the country. I don't know how many of your listeners have uh, been out to the Rocky Mountains, but we are, our church is right across the street from the Air Force Academy. Uh, so it's just a gorgeous, a Pikes Peak is right across the street from me, America's Mountain and the Air Force Academy here. So it's a great place to bring your family for vacation come skiing in the winter or come camping and hiking in the summer. I tell people I get to live where other people vacation. So it's a beautiful place. We love Colorado. Hey, I was telling you right before we hopped mm -hmm. on this thing here, I am uh, a huge Colorado fan. My wife and I, we, we vacationed in Aspen before and uh, uh, um, a, a while back and just, I have fell in love and I told her one day we will be in Colorado. So I'm, I'm very big fan. <laughs> Um, and so now you said that New Life Church has services for three different languages. Tell us, tell us a yeah. little bit about that. Well, we have obviously an English-speaking uh, congregation. Uh, five of our seven congregations are English-speaking, but we also have a Spanish-speaking congregation of about 1,500 people uh, that meet. And then we have a, about 100 Mandarin-speaking uh, Chinese who uh, is one of our congregations. So we have a Mandarin. Uh, we have Spanish-speaking congregation. We have five English-speaking congregations. And I tell people uh, if speaking in tongues was a fourth language, then we would have four languages. But anyway, <laughs> that's, a, that's, just a, that's just a preacher yeah. joke. But uh, anyway, so uh, we have uh, you know, just a real diverse congregation, a lot of people represented. Uh, it's just a beautiful church. I love the health of our congregation. Uh, probably our church right now is, is as healthy as it's ever been. And um, it's just a a joy. I know a lot of pastors are probably struggling and wrestling with helping their congregations get healthy, but once it's worth the fight, I just want to tell pastors around the country to encourage you. It is worth the effort. It's exhausting to lead a church that's not healthy. Uh, and it's, and it's, uh, 
it's, it's joyful to lead a healthy congregation. So it's worth the fight. It's worth the battle to make sure that the staff is healthy, that your leadership is healthy, that your own life is healthy. It's worth the price that you have to pay to get to that place. So, uh, Pastor, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk to uh, to you about this um, for a little bit um, with the rise with, with COVID, with all that's going on. It's it's keeping pastors out of the pulpit. Um, it's keeping a lot of pastors out of the the front and center and all that's going on. Um, how can we how can we fight that good fight? How can we find um, I guess our inner focus um, so that we don't get sidetracked or so that we don't bottom out in this ministry? Well, right now, pastors need to realize that everyone in your congregation is suffering from burnout. In fact, I think we're probably having a national pandemic of burnout around the country. Almost everyone that I talk to has at least minor symptoms of burnout. So every pastor that's listening, remember that you're st- every, every Sunday when you stand in front of your congregation, Everyone in that congregation is suffering some form of burnout right now, from COVID to the racial unrest to the recent elections, and now a resurgence of COVID uh, around the country. People are uh, unsettled. They are tired. They are exhausted. They're fearful. Uh, they they are, are not, uh, their emotions are frayed. They're, they're easily angered. I guarantee you most pastors that are listening right now that you probably have lost some congregation members for silly reasons in the last few months, or you have people that you thought were your close friends, trusted friends who have gotten upset with you about various things that they would have never gotten upset with you about a year ago, but now they're upset with you. And I even asked a group of pastors recently, how many of you have lost a friend this year? And almost everyone in the room raised a hand. So we're living in a cancel culture right now. So I'd, uh, I know that people's emotions are unsettled, they're difficult, and pastors need to realize that. So I've told pastors a couple of things. One, uh, I think we probably need to shorten our sermons just a little bit because people's attention spans are very, very short right now. And, and they need to be high hope and low. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying to dumb down the sermons at all because I believe in studying the scriptures and bringing rich content out of the pulpit. But don't be, don't let complexity rule the day. In other words, be simple, be hopeful, speak the truth, uh, share. You know, t- I just got through preaching through the entire book of Revelation, so uh, we we just finished. We're finishing up this Sunday. We taught through all twenty-one chapters, twenty-two chapters of Revelation, and uh, and so I understand how. <laughs> even as I say that, I had to make a really complex book very simple, but I did. And it was a lot of hope, even in chapters 6 through 20, when there was a lot of evil and darkness, there's still a way to bring hope and joy to every sermon. And I believe right now people are coming to church looking for a cup of cold water. They, yeah. they, are, they need to be encouraged. They are distracted. They're disoriented. And they need to be encouraged. You know, that's, that's a beautiful point. And a church your size, I just want to ask you, how are you feeling the effects right now in Colorado Springs? of COVID-19. What are you seeing in Colorado? Well, I'm seeing that we have three groups of people. Uh, One, we have a committed core, and this is true for all your churches, okay? So we, right now, we're seeing uh, an uptick in cases here. Our hospitals are getting busier. Uh, We uh, have a very liberal, progressive governor, but our local government, our local government is very uh, friendly to us. In fact, most of them go to my church. 
So we have, uh, we have not felt the pressure to close our doors from government, uh, especially local government. But right now we have three groups of people, and this is true for every church that's listening. It, it, we have now discovered who our committed core really is. We know now who is the committed core of the church. And these are people that never stop watching you online. They continue to give, they continue to serve. They stayed right with you. If you did have to shut your church doors, they were supportive, they understood, they didn't make life tough for you. That's one group. The second group that we discovered at New Life is that we have a group of vulnerable people in our church that are wrestling with health issues yeah. more than I thought. And because of COVID and because COVID tends to uh, attack people with these pre-existing conditions, we've had a lot of vulnerable people who love the church. They love being at church on Sunday, but they haven't been at church since March. Yeah. So one of the things we did, and I want to encourage pastors with this, one of the things we did and we have about 15,000 active members, and we called every single member of the church in the last seven months. And had un what I told our pastoral staff was, uh, have unhurried conversations with them. In other words, this is not just a call and check them off the list. No, linger with them. Ask them how they're doing. Have pastoral prayer with the people, who, especially those who are sick. That did more to settle my church than anything uh, that I've done so far during I, this COVID time. I love so that. The first group... Yeah, so the first group is we have a committed core. The second group of people is we have a group of vulnerable people that, that just need to be reached out. We got to reach out and tell them that we miss them. But there's a third group, and this, this was the group that were, they were only coming to church once every four to six weeks anyway, before COVID. They, they, were, they were probably, these are, the, these are the families in your church that when they had nothing else to do, they would come to church, but you were not going to see them very often. They're probably not serving. They're probably not giving. That's about 30 to 35% of most American churches, and they were very marginal members before COVID. And now COVID has given them an excuse to finally cut the ties with the local church. They're probably not coming back anytime soon. So for a lot of pastors, this has been one of the most discouraging things about COVID is that they've opened their doors back up and very few churches have gotten over the 50% mark. About 50% of people coming back that they had before COVID, that's pretty normal around the country. Well, this is where the other 50% are. About half of those people are vulnerable and the other half are not coming back. So our mission field just got expanded during COVID. So not only now should every church have a strategy and a plan to go after unchurched people, we have to have a strategy and a plan now to go after the people who were once in our church, but are, but are no longer there. They're gone. We call them the, the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. They're done with the church for various reasons. So now we have to have a very clear strategy of how we're going to win them back to the congregation. Pastor, uh, so a church of, of, of this size, there is a level of expectation that one feels um, kind of sitting in your seat or pastor of any church for that matter. Um, how does this, knowing that you have these duns, that you have these people and you don't know what the future holds, is there anything inside? How are you handling that morale wise? Does that, does that worry you? Does that upset you? How, how do you feel? Okay. Well, it does, it does worry me. I don't take it personal because I'm not the reason they left the church. Uh, this is something that was going on in their heart long before I had anything to do with their lives. And so it, does, it worries me, but I don't take it personally. I, and I, it bothers me. What bothers me more is when people leave the church for silly reasons. For, you know, like we just came out of this, 
let's go back to COVID. There were people who left the church upset with me because I closed the church doors for a few weeks. And then there were people who got upset with me because I didn't require everyone to wear masks when they returned. And then when the racial tension and unrest uh, came, uh, came across our land during the summer, there were groups of people that left because I mentioned racism. And there was a group of people that left because I mentioned, didn't mention it enough. And now in this political season, there are people who left my church because I didn't stand up and endorse a candidate. And then there, was, there were people that left my church because I mentioned politics at all. And so that's the kind of stuff that wears pastors out right there. Yeah. Because I, I've tried to stay true to the teachings of the scriptures. I've tried to stay true to what uh, preaching Christ crucified and trying to keep, get people's attention back on the person of Jesus. But we have all these other things that people want the pastor to say. I'm finding fewer and fewer people are coming to church to learn. And most people are coming to church to have their opinions affirmed. And they want the pastor to preach their opinions rather than to learn how to better follow Jesus. And Paul said this, that in these last days, people will gather together among themselves teachers who will teach them what they want to hear, teachers who will tickle their itching ears, and, and they will disregard sound doctrine. So for me, I am committed to teaching sound doctrine at my church. And, and while I do mention, uh, I do, I'm very aware of what's going on day to day in our culture, and I don't disregard that. I think it was, uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, preach with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another, because you need to be aware of what your people are talking about out in the lobby so you can preach about it out of the pulpit. So I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm aware of everyday topics, and I try to address those in a biblical way out of the pulpit. But what people want is they want outrage out of the pulpit. They want me to be as outraged as they are in yes. the pulpit. And I just want to caution pastors that we're not called to be outraged in the pulpit. We're called to be carriers of hope, carriers of truth, preachers of the gospel, preachers of the good news. And I just will not be bullied by people in my congregation who demand that I be as outraged as they are. And when I'm not, they get upset with me. And I think a lot of pastors right now are feeling bullied. If, you, if, if they could be honest, they may not have the courage to say that in public like I am, but a lot of pastors feel bullied right now. And bullying is the use of force or intimidation to get your way. And right now, I, I have talked to pastors all over the country, and many of them feel bullied right now. They are being threatened. If you don't mention this out of the pulpit, I am going to take my family and my tithes somewhere else. Yes, that is becoming all too common in the American church right now. And I just want to say for all the people listening to your podcast who happen to be members of your church, we're about to see a mass exodus of pastors from pulpits because they just cannot emotionally, physically and spiritually take the constant bullying that they're getting right now from their congregations. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you have a really good pastor, a pastor that loves Jesus, a pastor who courageously preaches the good news every Sunday, make it a point this week to give them a call, to drop them a note, give them a gift card to a really nice restaurant in your city so he can take his family out to dinner this week, write him a note and tell him how his sermons have changed your life and it helped you better follow Jesus. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of discouraged pastors out there right now that just need to know that their work is meaningful and you have the power to make their work meaningful by just dropping them a note this week. Let me ask you this, Brady. So, so we're dealing around here in South Alabama. We have some bigger churches, but 
um, as far as the, the, the scale of new life, you just don't, you just don't see it in the, in this area. So you've got some pastors that say, I really hear you and, and that's solid advice, but, but how Brady, like, like if, if they're saying how, how do I combat a bully in my church? You know, what is, what is the best way for, cause they say, Hey, you know, if you tell that family, okay, leave, well, there's substantial, you know, people that can fill that void, uh, you know, so to speak. What about somebody in these smaller churches? How can they, how can they kind of navigate through that stream? Well, it's a great question. I, I, the proverb says that the fear of man is a dangerous trap. And uh, I, so I think there's a loving, kind way to confront bullies. I'm not saying to go pick a fight uh, because the fight, you're already being threatened. And every pastor listening to me knows what I'm talking about right now. And I guarantee you, in the last eight or nine months, they've all felt what I'm saying. But you have to make up your mind. You have to remind yourself of why we said yes to this. I mean, really, quite honestly, think about the job that we have. Nobody in their right mind would say yes to being a pastor. You have to be called to be a pastor. Yes. And therefore, I, over these past few months, I've had to remind myself of why I said yes to the call of pastor. I said yes, because I really believe that Jesus came uh, into all the world. And, and I believe that Christ is the answer for all of human brokenness. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that Jesus Christ can still save and heal and deliver people. I think Jesus can still change people's lives by the power of the spirit and the, the preaching of, his, of the word of God, I think still is powerful. Uh, and so I said yes to it because I saw what Jesus could do in the lives of people. And I wanted to be a part of that. I did not say yes to being a pastor because I wanted to please a bunch of people. And that is just exhausting work, first of all. If you keep trying to please those people, it's going to burn you out. Yeah. You, we have to get back to our primary assignment. And, and, and by the way, the only time pastors really feel joy in their work is when they see Jesus change lives. That's it. Wow. There's no joy in committee meetings. There's very little joy in planning sessions. There's no joy in counseling necessarily. All the, all the hard work, the joy that we get out of pastoral work is when we see people go into the waters of baptism, when we see their lives get radically changed, when we see marriages restored. That's the joy of this work. And therefore, that needs to be the mission of our work. Because if you make anything else the mission, then you're not going to get the joy of the assignment and you will burn out and you'll become an angry old cynic later in your life. My goal, I'm, I, I'm about to turn 54 years old, and I just, I just celebrated 25 years of pastoral ministry. And I, when I say this, it surprises people. But my goal at the end of my career is to be fully human. Mm. I want to be a human being at the end of my career. In other words, I want to I laugh. I want to cry. I want to have joy. I want to be fun. I want to be, be in good health. I want to be a human. And what I'm finding a lot of times is that pastors along the way, when they start making something else their mission, then what happens is they start losing their joy. And once you start losing your joy for ministry, you become an angry old cynic. And I just refuse to do that. I am not going to let someone take the joy of ministry away from me because joy in the work of ministry is the only thing that will guarantee that I will be human at the end of my ministry. And so I just, if, you, if you're going to rob joy from me, if you're going to attack the joy of the work that I get to do, I just have no room for you in my life because 
uh, it's going to damage them. It's going to damage me. And if it damages me, it's going to damage the church. And so it's just too high of a price to pay uh, to be afraid of someone. So have I told people to leave the church? No. Have people left the church? Of course. But I want to remind pastors also that anytime someone leaves like that, if you'll if you will keep your eyes focused on Jesus, I have found this to be true so many times. As that person is walking out of the door for a silly reason, two other families will walk through the door the next Sunday who are thrilled to be in your church. And God is the one that builds our churches. Man does not build churches. It is by it is not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God is the one that builds the church. And so at the end of the day, we have to trust the Lord for church growth. We have to trust the Lord for all these things. And I just will not let the fear of people rob me of the joy of ministry. So I'm so thankful. I am so thankful that you said it's God that builds up, builds up the churches. Um, I see a trend lately that's a little bit scary. And I, and I want to ask you about, about this trend and your thought. I see a lot of churches wanting to heavily brand the church name or the name of the person in the pulpit. And my question is, when you hit a time like this, okay, that something's been heavily branded, just like, um, just like a t-shirt company, uh, you know, I can, only, I can only imagine the turmoil and the hardship that that t-shirt company is facing in a time or a season like this, or someone whose name is at the front and center that can no longer be front and center because there's nobody to be front and center of. My question is, I have not seen New Life do this in any means. And I have seen um, uh, everything that I've seen. You guys are built around an infrastructure of a team mentality. And that's so beautiful. And that concept is, is just amazing. How, how did you get to where you are right now without following that trend to say, hey, we're going to create New Life's brand above the creator who created this church in the first place? Well, our church has gone through, thank you for saying that, and, and we do work hard at collaborative leadership and team leadership here. My goal is for people to be talking about Jesus as they're leaving the church, not Brady Boyd. Yes. And that's, that's the goal. That's how you know you've had a good Sunday. I, in fact, we, get, we have a little joke on our team. Uh, people will walk up to me and say, oh, pastor, when you said that in that sermon, well, I know that I didn't say that. One of our other pastors probably said that because we have seven congregations and we have live teaching at every congregation. So we have a, there's no video. I don't mind video campuses, but it's just not our model. Our model is to have um, live preaching at every campus. So they'll come up to me and say, Pastor Brady, you said this in that sermon. It totally changed my life. Well, I didn't say it. And then that's, that's a sign that they're hearing the message and they're not fixated on the messenger. And that, that's a goal for us is to preach the good news, to be, uh, be good at what we do, but not draw attention away from the person of Jesus. Now, that's hard in our American culture. When you're good at something, you're going to get notoriety and you're going to get some acclaim. The problem is, is that's not the motive for why you're doing it. And so we have four guiding principles at New Life Church. And number one principle, this is the top value of my staff. And I review this for our staff all the time. We are in this for his kingdom and not our own. 
We're here to make Jesus known and not ourselves. We are here to put his kingdom above all other motivations. And so we talk about this all the time at New Life Church. While there is a spotlight on us when we're up there, we're not up there for the spotlight. We're there to preach and draw attention to the person who went to the cross in the tomb and not the person who walked up on the stage. So this is a, and there's been lots of times over the last few years I've had to address this, especially in young leaders who have ambitions. And I tell them, listen, holy ambition is not a bad thing, but the Bible is very clear about selfish ambition. Yes. And if we're not careful, selfish ambition will lead you down a path of celebrity, of, of, of attention. And listen, uh, we are watching right now what celebrity does to the soul of a person. And we've watched this now play out multiple times in the last few years. When a person becomes bigger than the mission of the church, when that person's brand or, or, or mission becomes paramount inside the church, it never ends well. It never goes well. It always ends in tragedy. And I, I'm just, I'm a, I, I've lived through this cautionary tale before. I, I'm, I'm proclaiming it from the rooftops. Don't, if you have a motive to be famous, do not go into ministry, period. It's going to destroy you. Yes. Um, and that, that is so beautiful. And I love the fact that you mentioned, okay, you're going to get praise for, for, for something you are, you're good at, you're gifted with, just like um, I'm going to praise um, whomever is over my finances. If, if, if they're doing a, a great, wonderful job in the church, I'm going to praise them like I want to praise whoever is in the pulpit because it's all part of the body and it's all we all have our our gifts and, and talents. And so I love that you said that. Unfortunately, we are seeing a time where we're seeing some major players, although it's not shaking the kingdom, our, our kingdom stands firm, but it's still upsetting to watch um, a, a big player uh, fall such as such as what happened with with Carl Lentz and and I just want to I just want to ask um, like what what is your feeling when something like that happens Brady? Well I'm sad I mean we should all be sad when we hear that we should never gloat and we should never uh, revel in someone else's failure uh, so I'm always saddened um, I I don't know Carl I don't know uh, the Hillsong people personally uh, but what I do, what I've read and what I have known and what's coming out now is that there was a culture inside the church that allowed for that. And so I don't know if Carl came into his pastoral ministry with those hidden problems. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know anything about that. Uh, and it's not for me to judge that. But I do know that uh, churches can establish a culture where that kind of behavior can hide. Uh, and ch our churches can establish a culture where there's real, honest relationships and conversations that prevent that kind of thing from happening. And so at New Life Church, I took over for a pastor who had gone through a moral failure, and it was on a national scale. In fact, it was on the front page of every newspaper in November of 2006. Uh, every, every broadcast medium in the country was talking about it. Well, I took his place. I'm, I'm the one that came after him. And so I, for those first three or four years, I had to reestablish a healthy culture at New Life to not only allow me to flourish, but to allow the church to rebuild trust with the leader. 
And I know how hard it is. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Once you lose trust with a group of people, it's very difficult to regain that trust. And so I've worked really hard in the last 13 years to rebuild and trust with my congregation. And now, 13 years later, I have their trust. And But I also know how fragile that is and how difficult. You know, you, you, you earn trust in drops, but you lose it in bucketfuls. You can lose it overnight. The very thing that took you years and years and years, decades to gather into a bucket. Think about a slow drip coming into your bucket. It takes forever to fill up. But you tump it over, it's gone in an instant. That's the way trust works. Trust is earned in drops, but lost in bucketfuls. There's there's so much wisdom in that. And and you are a busy man. It's apparent. There's there's a lot going on and there's a lot of stuff to do. Okay. And I want to ask you a personal question. What does your as 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 a as a pastor? What does your prayer life look like, Brady, to, to keep you to keep you centered, to keep you focused? Um, I, I would just love to encourage pastors out there who may be curious what a day to day person in your position, what their prayer life looks like um, and their and their kind of day to day walk with Christ. Well, thank you. I, I think it's it's very important to guard that, number one. Uh, I'm not as busy as I seem, and I'll tell you why. Uh, although we have a large church and a big congregation, I, I, I'm not any busier than the pastor down the street that's pastoring 50 people. In fact, he's probably busier than I am. And I have the uh, I have the luxury sometimes of having a staff and a team help me manage my schedule, manage my time. So I'm not I'm not working any more hours than the guy down the street. Um, I so but, and I say that because. Uh, all of us have to have margins in our lives. And I, I've learned over the years to put, to, I have really healthy boundaries. Uh, I, for, for a lot of years, I would, uh, on Friday and Saturday, I would, put, I would put on my calendar, go home and be with Pam and the kids. So that when people came to me and invited me to do things on Friday and Saturday, which were my two days off, I would say, uh, I have something on my calendar. And it, it was true. On my calendar, it said, go home and be with Pam and the kids. So I wasn't lying to them. I was like, I, so I already have something on my calendar for that day. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned to create margins in my life. When people ask me about my prayer time, I typically pray early in the morning. I usually get to my office pretty early, 7, 7.30 in the morning. And I, and I read the scriptures. I listen to worship music. I pray. And, and I have a dedicated prayer time. But I've also learned the power of praying without stop. Mm-hmm. I pray all the time. I pray, in, I pray all the time. Uh, every moment that I can find myself needing prayer or if I have a spare moment, I find myself praying. And, and so it's a constant ebb of flow of prayer that comes out of my life. But I have a, a dedicated time every morning that I, that I try to fix my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith. I try to fix myself on his image and his goodness and come into his presence with thanksgiving. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, I, I, I try to exercise that. Uh, I read the scriptures out loud. I'll tell you, this is a great discipline for pastors. Oftentimes we have, uh, Eugene Peterson says that sometimes the Bible, if it's only read, it's like the ink has become embalming fluid of the scriptures. That's a beautiful phrase, right? Wow. Ink has become wow. the embalming fluid. So what he was saying was, is that for the first 1500 years of Christianity, there were no printed Bibles. Yeah. The only way people got the scriptures was by listening to them. Wow. And he says, uh, he, he believes, and I, and I tend to believe this as well, 
that it's important to hear the scriptures, to let them, let them speak over you, listen to them. So I either I, I'll turn on an audio cassette where someone's reading the Bible out loud to me, or I read it out loud to myself. And I found that to be, because there, there's lots of times when I have to study the Bible, and I study the Bible all the time for sermons. But what I have found for my personal devotion, I get more out of listening to the scriptures than studying them. Yeah. Because the Bible wasn't meant to be studied. They were meant to be heard and lived out and right. then studied. But we, have, we study it first and wonder why it's lifeless to us. Well, listen to it. Listen to the scriptures. Let the, Spirit, let the Holy Spirit take over. Let, listen to the Bible. Just let it speak over you. Stop trying to study every single syllable. And why don't, let's just listen to the total story and see what that does in your heart. And uh, I, that's, so that's the discipline I do a lot. Brady, how... how pivotal how how monumental is the holy spirit in living a life above reproach and and fulfilling the call that has been placed on your life well jesus never intended for us to try to follow him without the holy spirit jesus said it's better for you that i leave so that the holy spirit can come because he's going to be your guide he's going to guide you into all truth He's going to make known to you what I've already said to you. He's going to teach all things that I've said to you. So if you're trying to follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit, it's like trying to fight fire without water. I mean, you can, you can put out some of the fire, but you're not going to be successful. I, uh, it was the Holy Spirit that birthed the church. It, was the Holy, it has been the Holy Spirit that has sustained the church. And it will be the Holy Spirit that will grow your church. Uh, it will be the Holy Spirit that causes your church to stay together during troubling times. And right now, people are desiring the presence of the Holy Spirit more than the, the presence of your church, more than the programs of your church. Uh, right oh, now, oh, oh, oh. say that again. People are desiring the presence of your church more than the programs of your church. So yeah. if you ask, if you ask people right now, what do they miss about church? It wasn't the Wednesday morning casserole Bible study that they're missing. They're missing the presence of being together. The gathered church is the powerful, most, most powerful force on the earth. And this is why the enemy hates the gathered church. When the church gathers together, there's something unique that happens in the spiritual realm. The Holy Spirit moves in community. And this is why this COVID thing, we got to pray against it. We need to pray for, for treatments and we need to pray for this, this, this whatever. If you, you don't, I don't know where you stand on vaccines. I don't want to get controversial. But the, the, the fact is, the church right now, when it comes back together, uh, the churches that I've heard that are coming back together are feeling the power like they've never felt before. We are feeling revival power right now. I love that. That is so powerful. Do you think that there will be a time when we're going to be able when when the church... Are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Do you think there will be a time when we lose the ability to gather? No, I, I don't. I, I, and I don't think that we should be afraid of that. Um, I think if you look at the major religious liberty rulings in the Supreme Court in the last 20 years, the last 15 significant religious liberty rulings, we're 15 and 0. Uh, so I don't think America, uh, while there's going to be an attack, there will be some attacks against our religious liberties. I don't think that is uh, something to be afraid of. I think we should be mindful. We should be aware. We should uh, make sure that we're voting for people who do appreciate religious liberties. But I, I don't wait, stay awake at night wondering about that. And listen, in every other country where there are restrictions on gatherings, that's usually where the, the revival breaks out. 
Yes. So what the enemy thinks he's doing by causing us to be persecuted is actually an, an agent that God uses to bring revival on the earth. Amen. And that is that is spot on. That is huge. Um, I want to ask you this. Um, for a lot of pastors um, that are that a lot of pastors are the quote unquote wisdom of the church. They are the, they are the head of the church. People come to them. Uh, for all of that, but but it is important for for us pastors to have a a group around us, a solid body of people around us, maybe not even affiliated to our church, to kind of help us uh, stay on track um, uh, spiritually, mentally, all of that, morally. Um, you don't have to go in the name or give us you know names or whatever, but. What kind of people does Brady Boyd surround himself with? What do you keep your your knit tight, or do you have a wide array? I mean, I'm just I'm curious on that. Yeah, I have a I have multiple layers of accountability. One is I have a really good relationship with the core people on my staff, and although although I know that relationship is different, the power differential is different because I'm the boss and they're not. I get that, but we also have high we do have high value on speaking the truth to one another. Outside of that, I have uh, seven non-staff elders who are in my church. They know me. I live life with them. They have a responsibility to speak into my life, and they do. I have uh, some really close, lifelong friends that are godly men that have been my friends for some of them over 25 years. And in fact, right before this podcast, I was on the phone with one of them and talking with him and catching up with him, and I, I talk to them regularly. I have four overseers who are all pastors. They're all older than I am. They're more experienced than I am. And they really coach me and speak into my life. Uh, and I have a wife of 31 years who is uh, still my friend. And she's very honest with me. Uh, she holds me accountable. We have a great relationship. I have two grown children who have no, <laughs> they respectful to their dad and they love their dad, but they have no problem telling me, dad, that's not right. Dad, you can't do that. Dad, you can't say that. And they, so I have multiple layers, both family, friends, staff, and overseers uh, that speak into my life. I certainly, I, I think it's dangerous to have a small bubble around you. And I think the bigger the church, the smaller the bubble gets for a lot of guys. That's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous. Because what happens is you only hear what you want to hear. And you want, you put people around you who will tell you what you want to hear not what you need to hear. So make sure make sure you have both those people. You need we do need a lot of people around us who are encouraging us, who believe in us, who are 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 cheering us on uh, because it's it, that's important. I mean, we get discouraged like everyone else. Just don't make that the only group that you're hanging around. So, there has to be. Go ahead. Well, there just has to be a balance. I don't want anybody being mean to me. Everybody around me loves me. Okay but they love me enough to tell me the truth and they know me well enough to know when I'm not telling the truth. This is, this is the problem with most pastors. They have a lot of people that know them, but not know them well enough to know when they're not telling the truth. And I'm telling you, we have to invest in deeper relationships with people who respect us, but are not impressed with us. And that's the key right there. I, that's what I value the most. I love when I find, when I have a relationship with someone who I know loves me, they respect me, they're not going to harm me, uh, but they, they're they not impressed with me. They say, Brady, I love you, we think you're great, but you're a human being, and you need to hear what I'm about to say. 
Absolutely. That's the kind of people I really need in my life. And I, I, I recognize that I need that kind of person. You know, I call them, I call them um, in, in, in my book, I call them uh, spies. And, and it's people that, that are around us that, that just what you said, they don't tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. And, uh, and, and I've heard a lot of pastors try to use something to say the exact opposite of what you just said. And <laughs> it struck me the other day, I was listening to John Maxwell's leadership podcast and the question was asked to him, kind of, John, who do you surround yourself with? And he talked about the insiders and the outsiders. He talked about the layers and, and all of that. And I thought that was so cool. And when I hear pastors, they say, well, you know, Jesus had 12, but, but you know, he really only had three. And it, and it was like, um, so you want to keep your, your bubble small. And it's like, wait, time out. Did you not just hear what you just said? He had three. He had 12. <laughs> that was Jesus. Had, right. He had family. <laughs> and so even Jesus uh, had, had layers around him as he walked uh, through the human life. And you're right. That's Jesus. And, and so um, I just think that, you know, it's so important to have people that are truth holders, that speak life into you and over you and help you when you fall to pick you back up. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, I think, by the way, he, uh, he was Jesus. He was a sinless one. So if Jesus had 12, we probably need to multiply that by four if it's going to be <laughs> us, right? Or five. <laughs> right. So um, what is New Life doing uh, to kind of reach the community uh, during COVID and all of that right now? Well, right now we discovered there's a food scarcity among many in our city. So we've given away uh, almost 65,000 tons of food. In the last seven months, we just uh, and we also discovered that people in Central there's a group in Central America that's really starving for food right now because of two big hurricanes that have come ashore. And so we just packed enough food to feed 300 people for a year. Uh, we we have uh, multiple uh, ministries going on around the city for homeless single moms and their kids. We have a state of the art medical clinic. We just saw our 10,000th patient. Uh, it's all free, state of the art healthcare in our city. Uh, we, every time we hear of any, here's, here's what I would encourage pastors to do. Just meet with your mayor, your local officials and ask them one question. What are the greatest areas of pain in our city that are not being met? That's the question. What are the greatest areas of pain in our city that are not being met? Whatever they tell you is what you should be doing as a church. So pastors are always saying, well, I don't know how to get involved. Well, you're not asking the right questions. Just go meet with your mayor, meet with your city council, go meet with your fire chief, meet with the police chief. Meet with some other nonprofits here in town and don't compete with them, uh, compliment them. So that's what we did for the first couple of years. I just, anybody that would meet with me, I said, hey, what's the greatest areas of pain in our city that are not being met? What we discovered was there was no place for homeless single moms to come off the streets with their kids. So we just went and started buying apartment complexes. We're now uh, in, the, in the process of purchasing uh, our third apartment complex. And we got moms in a three-year program. They come off the streets with their kids. They're in school. Uh, it's an amazing program. If you want to know more about it, go to dreamcenters.com, dreamcenters.com. And uh, that tells you everything we're doing uh, in, that, in the city of Colorado Springs. It's really, really, uh, that's one of the reasons I still enjoy being a pastor is probably get to do things like that. Brady, I just um, uh, am super encouraged by, by you and by 
by new life and the people uh, that you have in your congregation. I love the way that you talk about uh, your family in, in not just your immediate family, but also your church family. And so you're just a very passionate guy, a very generous guy. Speaking of that, if people want to find out more about what you're doing, I know you have a new book coming out uh, in, about generosity and all of that. Tell, tell me a little bit more about where people can, can find that and tell me what it's about. Well, the book is called Extravagant, Living a Life of Dangerous Generosity. And before you get preconceived notions, this is not a book about how to get rich. Extravagant is a word that I use to describe the generous God who uh, has done generous things for all of us. God has been extravagant in his generosity toward us. Therefore, he calls us to be extravagant in our generosity toward others. And I based the book on the parable of the Good Samaritan, who uh, was walking along one day, minding his own business, and saw a, gen a Jewish person in the ditch who had just been beaten and robbed. This is in Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells us the story. And the guy gets off of his, uh, goes down into the ditch, bandages his wounds, puts him on his, his donkey, takes him to the local Hilton, tells the guy at the hotel, take care of him. I'll come back tomorrow. And whatever money that is needed to take care of this, this is the total stranger yes. that he's doing this for. Jesus tells this story, this extravagant story of an extravagant generosity as a way of telling us, this is what I want my children to be. I want you to be extravagant in your generosity to one another. And so I wrote the book called Extravagant, uh, Living a Life of Dangerous Generosity. And the reason I say dangerous generosity is that biblical generosity requires us to take extraordinary risks. This guy was a Samaritan who went into the ditch to take care of a Jewish man who was his sworn enemy. So he was crossing over all kinds of racial socioeconomic, political boundaries to go help this guy. He was taking a great risk. That was a dangerous move to take care of a Jewish guy uh, because the Jews thought the Samaritans were dogs. They, they were less than human. So I love this story. And uh, the book comes out. It's on sale. You can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or any local bookstore that carries Christian books. It's a national release. Early December, it'll be out. Uh, so I hope you pick up a copy and let me know what it, after you read it, let me know what you think of it. Okay, so the book is coming out early December. They can get that Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Did you say? Okay. Yeah, Barnes and Noble. Okay. Uh, any bookstore. I will be looking for that, guys. You be looking for extravagant, and so uh, that's going to be um, going to be awesome. So excited about that. Again, Brady, I just I thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with Scar and just drop some wisdom on us because I think it's so important that as, as pastors, as people in the local church, even our listeners uh, who, who may not work on staff at a church, they're still involved with, with their church. And sometimes you get jaded, sometimes you get tired. And I needed to, I wanted to hear truth from you on how you stay the course and how you fight the good fight. And you brought that and, uh, and I'm so appreciative. Any last final words, um, uh, to, to maybe any of our listeners uh, that may be in a season right now of uncertainty about beyond, about what's, what's beyond this, Brady. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, by the way. And don't be weary in well-doing, good friends. My brothers and sisters who are listening, 
Do not be weary in well-doing, for you will be rewarded in just time, in due time. The Lord takes, the Lord is watching. He's looking for faithful people who are willing to endure and persevere right now. And I believe there is a special grace and a special favor coming to the saints of God who will simply persevere and endure and remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus right now. So don't be weary in well-doing. Keep your head up and uh, let, let always be full of joy. Joy is uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I can't say that enough. And as long as you can keep joy, you will have strength for what you're doing. Love it. Love it. And thank you much, Pastor Brady. And uh, if you'll just hold on for just one second. As for our listeners, we will see you in the next couple of days.